In the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have liberty. And in all things, we show love. If you've been around here very long, you'll hear it said by me and by some others, we try to major on the majors and minor on the minors. But what happens when an individual majors on a minor? What do we do when someone feels so strongly about something that they want to turn it into an extremely important issue, even an issue that can cause trouble for others? This is what the Apostle Paul talks about today in our text. As we turn to Romans chapter 14, we're going to see two different groups in the church. These groups can act in the way that they're acting, and they can choose to act in a way that has one of two results. They can act in a way where God is glorified, even though the groups are different, or they can act in a way where there's chaos among this body of believers. Now, we're going to start in verse number one of Romans 14 today, and just uh, so we're aware, the section starting today actually goes through verse number 13 of Romans 15. We're not going to cover all of that today. We are going to cover what I think is a pretty good chunk um, in, in God's Word. We'll just look at the first 12 chapters of Romans 14, but the Apostle Paul has already told them the solution to any problem they face. We talked about that in Romans 13, we show love. Love not as the world shows love, but love that is a reflection of the love that Jesus Christ has shown to us. He's given the solution. Now we're going to see a little bit more of the details of the problem they were facing there. We're going to find some very practical applications for ourselves, and we are going to see that Paul... Just like we said last time, he doesn't just solve the problem for them. That might have felt good if he would have solved their problem, but what Paul does instead is gives them a plan for future problems and, praise the Lord, he gives us a plan for when problems come up. Because, in case you were not aware of this, problems are going to come up. We have a few sinners in our church. Everybody raise your hand if you're a sinner. Raise your hand. Those without their hands up are liars and therefore are sinners. The reason we have problems is because God's left us in this world and we are to be with one another in community, in a church family, but we have to figure out what to do sometimes when we get confused. We're going to see four things that we um, benefit from, but to set that up, I need to read verse number one and tell you that they all build upon Romans 14.1. So look at verse number one. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. There are two groups that we're going to talk about. I know that the name of one group sounds a little more attractive than the other, but just about every church has people in these groups. There's the weak and there are the strong, and we're going to talk about those, define that biblically for what that means. And as we saw there in verse number one, there is an, there's an expectation that if you're part of a church, you're going to be welcoming other brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the obligation that you have. Over the next several verses, he'll give us reasons why we should welcome brothers and sisters into the fellowship. 
but I need to just let you know one key issue before we go any further, because if you miss this, you're going to be confused in the rest of the study, and when you try to make applications, you might be confused as well. The Apostle Paul is not talking about salvation issues here. You have to understand that. They are in agreement on salvation. He spent 11 chapters walking through the doctrine of justification, telling us all that we're all equally sinners, and if we're saved, we're all equally saved. No one is above another. It's one of the richest doctrinal books in all of the Scriptures, Romans. And so we have seen what, how salvation comes. We are not addressing salvation issues. We are not addressing moral issues right now. Paul is going to tell them how to deal with the different opinions that people have on different things. Places where God's Word is not clear, or maybe God's Word is completely mute on some of these. I'm going to resist the temptation of giving you a long laundry list of the, t- the typical reasons why people fight and their opinions. I'll probably mention just a few. I think that if you and I were able to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation, how long of a list do you think we could come up with of people that have been fighting the opinions, not the things that are black and white in God's Word, where clearly, thus saith the Lord, but the things that's, that's how I feel, or maybe they feel differently. Of course, in order for you to know what's opinion and what God has said, for sure, you have to be a student of the Word. So all of us are challenged to be getting to the point where we conduct ourselves based on what we know from God's Word. I think that just about everybody has a point where they're living on borrowed convictions. Do you know what I mean when I say borrowed convictions? Some of the young people that are here, you're likely living on borrowed convictions right now, the convictions of the parents, your parents, or whoever's influencing you. You didn't necessarily come to all these convictions on your own the first 15 or 20 years of your life. You've just had that. That's the way you've been brought up. But there is a point where we need to get to where we have these convictions for ourselves. So it's not a salvation issue, but instead it is a conscience issue. And the Word of God warns us not to go against our conscience, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. Chapter 13 gave us the solution, respond with love. And now Paul gets into the details. Two different groups. There's the weak and there's the strong. And he talks about both of those. Let's go ahead and define those so we know what we're talking about. A weak believer here, as Paul is talking about it, is a believer who has a strong conscience, but their conscience is not an informed conscience. So it's not right for you to say a weak believer is someone who who doesn't have any standards or rules. That's not what we're talking about here. In fact, it's very different than that. The weak believer here has some very serious standards that they live by. There are things in their life that they feel dogmatically about. But the weak believer, as Paul calls them that, are the ones that are, are not informed from God's Word, what the Bible says about that. Now, when you come across someone who's different than you, if you genuinely want to show love, you're going to need to understand them. And that might take some investment on your part. That might mean that you ask questions and get to know their history. 
if someone grew up in a family where there was some horrible things going on, things we can't even mention in the church service. Those are going to be part of developing that person into who they are. We find with the groups here, the Jewish people, the Jewish people grew up very, very specifically with dietary restrictions, and they grew up with recognizing holy days. And he mentions that in a little bit. If you were a Jew and you had come to Christ, your history was your family vacations, they usually revolved around going to some of the festivals. You looked forward to that. You enjoyed that. Not a negative thing. Those things that God gave them in the Mosaic Law. It's likely that if you were a saved Jew or a fulfilled Jew, that you are one who your favorite foods are kosher. You were kind of brought up to think non-kosher foods are disgusting. That's gross. Why would anybody eat that? Some of you feel that way about sushi, don't you? Ooh, why would anybody eat that? And yet, if you go to some places, sushi is their favorite food. And so, you need to know a little bit about their background. They were brought up with traditions, not traditions that are sinful. We're not talking about moral issues. We're talking about opinions, things that were ingrained in them since childhood. Now, the weak Christian would tend to be legalistic, and they would tend to be narrow-minded. I'm going a very, very specific route with uh, the teachings from this passage today. Clearly, the Apostle Paul gives some instruction and the the negatives for the weak believer, but I want to also give some very, very big problems for the strong believer. The strong believer does not stand in a place where he cannot cause major chaos. What do I mean by strong believer? How Paul talks about it here, specifically in chapter 15 and verse 1, this is the believer that lives in his liberty to the fullest. He understands what he's been saved from. He understands what God's Word says on the issues, the debatable issues. And he says, I'm going to live with my Christian liberty to the fullest. Again, this is not a sin matter, not someone who is sinning. But the danger that can come with this strong believer is there can be a result of them being less patient with people that don't share their Bible opinion about that topic. And they can be puffed up. And of course, that goes before a fall. So the problem, I think, is going two ways, all right? Weak believers judging strong believers, saying that they don't have enough standards, And then strong believers judging weak believers, saying that they're legalistic and they're ignorant of God's Word. Both ways the accusations can go. Both ways demonstrate a problem. And I think I can sum the problem up with this one sentence. It's when an individual gets to the point, they're talking about another, and they say, I honestly, I don't think that they love the Lord as much as I love the Lord. Both of these groups can make that statement. They're just, they're, they're just not as strong of a Christian as I am. We need to be very, very careful in speaking to others in any kind of a way like this. And of course, be very, very careful. Nobody wants to be called a weak Christian, all right? Don't start your conversation with them that way. Well, since you're a weak Christian, let's start there. You can't say that. But we've defined them as the Apostle Paul is going to define them. 
And then in verse number one, it says we're supposed to, everybody's supposed to welcome everybody, specifically there, the strong need to welcome the weak in faith. And then we find some reasons for this. Look at, the, the first reason is this, the Lord receives all and therefore expects you and I to receive all. The Lord receives all of His children and therefore He expects you and I to do the same, starting in verse two. One person believes he may not eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And so a very obvious application for this church and for our church, the church in Rome and our church here today is, on one side, don't have contempt for the person that has a stricter lifestyle. Do not judge them. And as we'll see in a little bit, you need to not be trying to change them for that stricter lifestyle they have. On the other side, there's a challenge to not have contempt contempt for those who don't understand what God's Word says in the same way you understand it. And I guess I probably should say that it's, not, it's not only understanding what God's Word says, but it's understanding what God's Word doesn't say. For me, in, in my journey with the Lord, so much had to do with things that I had in my life and I wanted everybody else to do, and I found out that God's Word really didn't command that and didn't say that. And so condemning goes both directions, and Paul reminds them here in, these, in, in verses 2 and 3 that when they reject that brother or sister, they are rejecting one whom Christ has accepted. And if I may be so bold as to say, who in the world are you to condemn and reject one that God has accepted? It ought not to be. Why are they accepted by God? They're accepted by God because they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've been forgiven, and we're going to be neighbors in heaven. And so, therefore, you should not reject them for a different opinion here in this world. In the past couple of weeks, I had a conversation with somebody here in town. I was at a business and, and uh, getting uh, some work done on my car, actually. And there was another person there. And we had a conversation, a long conversation. From our small talk up front, it was pretty obvious that he was a, a believer, a Christian. And um, so we, we sat down and we talked about that for a long time. And this individual had some very, very strong opinions, very strong opinions on what I would call minors, minor issues. As we talked through it, we were going over some of these. And if you've gotten to know me, I really don't care to argue about all those things. And hopefully that'll be one of the applications from our time in Romans 14 today that we're not arguing about these smaller things. But I can remember at one point in the conversation, I just stopped it. And I said, can I just pause this just for a second? And I asked this question. I said, are are you going to be going to heaven when you die? And he said, well, yes, of course. And I said, how do you know that? And he explained to me the gospel of which he had accepted. And I said, okay, all right. Then we're on the same page. We're going to be neighbors in heaven. Now we can go on and talk about these things. 
My point in telling you that is you don't have to be afraid of conversations that are awkward or uncomfortable, but you need to keep at the forefront. If God has not rejected them, you have no place to reject them. It's so easy for us, and the worst place we can take it, the worst place where you can go is you can say, you know what, I don't even think that person is a believer. And it all started because of a disagreement about something that God's Word really doesn't give us any clarity on. Please be very, very guarded about saying that someone else is not a Christian because of some disagreements that you have that are not based on the doctrine of salvation. If God has not made their opinion a point of division, neither should we. The next reason that we should receive every believer that I find here is because it is the Lord alone that upholds them. Verse number four, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, the optimist in me, and I am an eternal optimist, the optimist in me takes me to think the following. I think that most people that are practicing judging, most people that are despising another, having strong disagreements about, about someone else's opinion, the optimist in me tells me I think they are doing it with good intentions. I think most brothers and sisters in Christ don't have ill intentions. They're not trying to cause harm. But instead, they're making an observation, and they're thinking, is it possible that they could have a closer walk with God if, we, if, if they shared the same opinion than I did? And so I think most people, the, 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 fear isn't, the fear is that they're not on the right path. So I think they have good intentions, but verse 4 is clear here. He who has begun a good work in you, is faithful and will complete it. It does not let you out of the job of, you know, helping brothers and sisters and building up, and we'll talk about that. But ultimately, this here says the Lord is able to make him stand. He is a servant of the Lord. And so just to really uh, narrow it down a lot more, basically, I think what Paul is saying here is, is they're going to be okay. I know you're getting kind of excited about this, where you guys differ, but they're, they're going to be okay. They're saved. They love the Lord. They're going to be all right. The next thing that I see is the, why we should welcome each other is because both the weaker and stronger belong to the Lord. Verses 5 through 9 talk about this, and there's one key word I really want to highlight as we walk away from these verses. Both the weaker and the stronger belong to the Lord. Look at verse 5. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. 
For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. So what he's saying here is each individual that we're going to differ with in opinions, and specifically in the church in Rome, there were two different opinions, kind of the meat eaters and the non-meat eaters is how we've talked about it before. And here he is saying each of that person is to be fully convinced of how God wants them to live. And this is a responsibility that you have. You need to be completely convinced as you walk in your journey with God, this is what God wants you to do. The people that were not eating meat, they were giving thanks to God for that. The ones that were eating meat, they were really thanking God for that. And all of you who like bacon can understand that all the more, right? And so he says, you need to be convinced on your own. And I think that each of them was living in the way they thought was most pleasing to God. And so here's what we learn from this. It is okay for someone else to believe something different about the special days. It's okay for them to believe something different about kosher food. But it is not okay for someone to make another go against their conscience. You need to be fully convinced that what you're doing is what God wants you to do. And if someone comes to you and tries to get you to go against that, you need to refuse. Right along with that is you need to be very careful not to try to force someone to go against what God is leading them to do. Conscience is the issue here. Do not allow someone to make you violate your conscience. Don't give in. The Bible gives warning about a seared conscience. When we know that something is sin and we decide to do it and we start to develop a seared conscience, guard against that. And do not allow someone to lead you down that road to violate your conscience. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth, they're dealing with something similar, but he talks about the stronger believers and the impact that it might have if they conduct themselves in a wrong way. 1 Corinthians 8.11 says, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. So there is a danger on those that are weak, that don't really know what the Bible teaches about Christian liberty and those issues, to be legalistic and to judge others as liberal, not having good standards. And there is also a danger of individuals, by their knowledge, destroying the weak person. I know when I came to Calvary uh, about nine years ago, I was very... Um, intentional about some of the questions that I ask because there are some issues that are pretty regular in churches. I said earlier, we could probably have a conversation and make a pretty long list. I was thankful when I came here that there were some issues that were not being argued about 
at least that I could tell. They were not battling over the issue of versions here, Bible versions. It's perfectly fine to, to um, have a different opinion on that and for someone to, to love the old King James, and you need to let them do that. I was glad they weren't fighting that battle. There aren't too many church issues that have adopted the word war with it, except for the word worship wars. I think the worship wars are pretty much over these days, battling over what style of music a church is going to use. And I was thankful that was not an issue that I would have to address when I got here. I was glad that dress code was not an issue that I would have to address. I'm not going to go into all the others, but I can tell you that we are very, very good at taking one Bible verse and trying to apply that to an opinion and then trying to make others abide by that. The last thing that we see why we should welcome every believer is because the Lord alone is their judge. We welcome all the believers because the Lord alone is their judge, verses 10, 11, and 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, I live, says the Lord, as I live, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give account of himself to God. Very, very practically today, we can see how this would apply to that church. But for you and I, I want to give a couple takeaways for us to apply. And, and I want to talk just for a moment about how uh, this particular passage of Scripture is very challenging to me and has been uh, part of my history. The first thing that you can do after studying a passage like Romans 14, 1 through 12, is resolve that your lifestyle decisions are going to help you and help a brother to run better. The decisions that you make, the opinions, the standards, if you will, whatever word you want to use, you need to have them in your life and be, con and be fully convinced that they're going to help you run the journey that God has you on to the best of your ability. And also, those standards, that lifestyle that you put out there, it should be there to help others run better as well. And I'll give you one red flag, one warning. There's a question. It's not a wrong question to ask, but it should not be very high on the list. When you're talking about, can I do this or can I not do this? And that's practical. We face that every week, right? Can I do this or can I not do this? What does the Bible say? Well, when the Bible isn't clear on an issue, there are some questions that we can ask. And one question that sometimes gets asked first, first question some people ask, can I do that, can I not do that? The, that question is, well, what's wrong with it? And can I just encourage you not to put that question, what's wrong with it, as the first question you ask? You can have it on the list, I understand that. But maybe put it as number 14, okay? Maybe number 27. Am I going to have this as part of my lifestyle? The first question we ask should not be, well, what's wrong with it? What is a better question to ask? Does it help me run? Does it help me be more patient? 
more gentle, more loving. Not what's wrong with it, but instead, how is this going to help me in my journey and how will this practice in my life help another in their journey? And then the next thing that we can do, and this is really a launching pad into our next challenge where we're talking about a stumbling block, is this. And this might be hard for some of you, but I would challenge some of you to, to take this, what can you do, and apply it even today. Resolve to enjoy some liberties without exercising those liberties. Understand what God's Word says about that and the fullness of liberty that you have available to you, and then resolve not to exercise that liberty. That may go a very long way with a weaker brother or a weaker sister. He goes on to talk about stumbling block, and we're not going to get into that too much, but it very well could be today that you understand what God's Word says about and I'm glad we're almost out of, out of time or else I could go into all kinds of issues. Alcohol. Tattoos. Calvinism. These things that the devil loves to see us arguing and fighting over, we need to sometimes understand what God's Word has told us about it and then set that aside and not practice not exercise that liberty. I grew up just in a, in, in a world that didn't really get along with very many other Christians. In fact, we didn't think a lot of people were Christians. It was very, very hard. I liked it. I didn't want to change it. But there came a point in my life where I wanted to back up my beliefs and my opinions with God's Word. And I can remember... I can remember walking through and finding out, oh my goodness, I guess God's Word doesn't say a whole lot or anything about that particular standard or issue or practice. And I had to look back at my life at how many I had judged, how many I had literally thought, I guess they don't just love the Lord Jesus Christ as much as I do because they don't have the same opinion that I do of that. And I regret that I have taken it so far to where I have accused another believer of not being a believer because they didn't share my opinion. God's been patient with me. I've gone to individuals and I've asked for forgiveness. And they've been gracious to forgive. This is not a salvation issue, these are not moral issues. Most of the things that we run into between people really aren't biblical issues. And God gives us a way that we can address others. First of all, we show love. And then he says, you need to be living your life in a way that's going to help you and also help them. And that may look very, very different. And God is patient with you. And God will be patient with them. And what he wants is for all of us to be standing together at the end and individually we'll stand before him and we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But how sweet 
as a pastor of a flock for us to want to stand together with our arms around each other and collectively hear, well done, my faithful ones. God's plan for his church is beautiful and it's perfect. And he's planted you and I right in the middle of it. And we have the responsibility to make it what he wants it to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to you, it is with great appreciation that you did not hold our sins against us. You allowed the price to be paid by Jesus Christ on the cross, and we praise you for that. I thank you for changing me. I thank you for the patience you have with me, and I thank you for others who I have judged and how you've allowed them to forgive and show patience. Heavenly Father, would you allow all of us to be fully convinced of what you want us to do and then be fully convinced of how we're supposed to treat other people who might believe a little bit differently. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as the piano plays through, I want to give you a chance to pray. Maybe you're here today and you've not forgiven somebody for something, an opinion, a difference that's not clear. Maybe you're here today and and you need to change the way you, you address opinions or maybe your own standards or maybe you need to set aside some liberties. Perhaps you would want to pray a prayer of salvation today. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. He died on the cross for you, for your sins. And if you will just confess your sins to Him and ask Him to forgive you, He'll make you His daughter or His son. Take just a moment to pray. Stand with me, please. We're going to